Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Rogue Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I don't have a co-host tonight because we're doing a special interview episode of the podcast. Uh, this past week, uh, it was happened uh, end of last week, Penn State made a pretty shocking move, ended up moving on from offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka after one year to bring in Mike Yursich, a uh, well-traveled guy, Penn Ohio native played in Pennsylvania, a bit of a cult legend uh, in PA for what he did uh, as the offense coordinator at Ship, offensive coordinator at Shippensburg. Uh, when he ended up moving on, though, he went to Oklahoma State, had a few really successful years there. Then a couple of stops after. We're, we're not going to focus on those. We're just focusing on his time with the Pokes. And to get a little bit of a look into uh Mike Yurisich, the offensive coordinator at the place where he spent, has spent the longest stretch of his uh, coaching career. We decided to reach out, uh, get linked up with Kyle Boone, a writer over at CBS Sports and an editor over at the site Pistols Firing to give us a bit of a look in to what it's like to follow a team coached by Mike Yurisich. Kyle, what is going on, man? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on, Bill. Not a problem. And of course, we must thank our, our friend Josh Crutchmer of the New York Times for getting us linked Absolutely. up with one another. Josh, if you are listening to this, thank you very much. Um, I, I owe you a beer or something like that. Uh, obviously, uh, we could sit here, we could talk about Josh all day, but instead, I think it's best that we spend some time talking about Mike Yursich. Uh, Kyle, it kind of came out of left field for a lot of Penn State fans when this move ended up being made, because I think everybody knows his name, uh, or a lot of people know his name in the world of college football, know that he's a really good uh, offensive coach, offensive coordinator, and I think a really good way to get a glimpse into a guy is to look at how he is viewed by the fans at his old stops. Like if you ask Penn state fans, uh, every one of them would step in front of a train for Joe Moorhead, uh, just kind of that sort of thing. So I want to know how do Oklahoma state fans generally view Mike Yursich, uh, in the what two or three years since he has moved on from the program? Yeah. So to, to answer that question, I just want to first say, I think Joe Moorhead is absolutely the exception and not the rule. Most, <laughs> you know, most fan bases generally, as soon as the coordinator moves on, whether it's a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, uh, it's usually just sayonara. We've, we've had enough of you. You know, it's, it's, uh, he called too many run plays up the middle on first down or gosh, he, he never really let loose and never really opened the playbook. Yursich, I think is kind of a mixed bag. Um, when, when Mike Gundy hired him, I, I think there was a lot of people who were you know, rightfully skeptic, uh, skeptical of the hire just because of uh, the lack of experience. But he was very productive at Oklahoma State. And, you know, he took over in 2013. Uh, the offensive line at Oklahoma State was in really bad shape. And it took him a, a little while to kind of get his personnel into, into the program and, and really kind of uh, work his magic with the offensive system at Oklahoma State. But uh, the last four years that he was there, they had top 10 offenses in, in, in terms of passing every single one of those years. And the final two years he was there, they had top 11 uh, overall offenses. So, you know, I, I think um, he ended on a good note, ended up going to Ohio State before jumping to Texas. But, you know, by and large, I think, um, you know, you look back at the year such tenure at Oklahoma State, I think fans are, are mostly pleased with the production and what he was able to build in his short time at Oklahoma State. 
Yeah, it's an interesting thing because when I remember those first couple of years when he was there, well, I didn't remember like exactly the years he was there until I was going back and I was looking and doing some research here. And I mm-hmm. went back and I saw his first quarterback uh, was Clint Shelf and his second yeah. one was Dax Garman. I was like, oh, wait, no, I remember Oklahoma State, his first couple of years was like not that great. And yeah. then he ends up getting Mason Rudolph in there. You look at some of the skill position guys. Chris Carson uh, is in the NFL. James Washington is in the NFL. Uh, Marcel Aitman was a fantastic, fantastic college receiver. Uh, Tywin Wallace, uh, Chuba Hubbard. Like, there are just so many really talented dudes in there. And I, how much was, over his tenure was it viewed as, you know, he's a guy who was, you know, it wasn't until the players started getting in that he was really good or like, yeah. was he the kind of guy that uh, was viewed as a really good coach? And it just took uh, a few years of recruiting to get talent going in. Like what I, I took, this is a very clumsy way of asking, is he one of those guys who uh, people didn't appreciate until players got in there? Or did people always say, okay, wait, no, this is a really good coordinator. We just have to give him time to get his system in and get his guys in there. I think it's the exact opposite. Um, people, first of all, poo-pooed the hire, uh, didn't think it was a good hire. And then immediately he comes in and the offense is just kind of average. And then 2000, that was in 2013. They ranked 55th nationally in rush offense, 27th in pass offense. And it was just okay, right? So 2014 comes along. The offensive line just absolutely crumbles. The starting quarterback goes down with an injury in the first game of the season and the offense is abysmal. They can't run the ball at all. Um, there's so many holes that need to be plugged. And, you know, a lot of it was, okay, is it because of the injuries that the that Mike Yersich is not working out? Or is it is it a schematic thing? Is, is his system just not working? And so for the first two years, you didn't really have the answer to that question. And so you can imagine for an Oklahoma State fan base that is accustomed to winning big, uh, to not have an offense that really matched, you know, the production of other Big 12 schools, people piled on to Mike Gershitz thinking, okay, this guy was just a total bust of a hire. 2015 comes around, the offense under my, uh, Mason Rudolph ranks seventh nationally uh, in, in passing offense. The following year, it also ranks seventh in passing offense. 2017, the offense, the passing offense ranks first nationally and Oklahoma State became the first offense in Big 12 history to have a 4,000 yard passer a 1,000 yard rusher and that was Justice Hill and two 1,000 yard receivers in, in Marcel Aitman and James Washington so um, you know I, I think he inherited kind of a broken program in terms of uh, offense and, and health and and um, and especially the offensive line it was just really bad um, but yeah as, as he got his guys in into the program as he kind of developed some of that talent, as he recruited his guys, and you know, I think a large part is is because he recruited Mason Rudolph, who who happened to be an absolute stud in college. Um, you know, he he built a name for himself as as one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. So I'm glad that you've mentioned a couple of times the um, kind of the skepticism around his hire because. I don't think I'm 
stretching anything by saying Mike Gundy's not exactly the most conventional guy on earth. Um, when you look and you see that he made the jump from Shippensburg to Oklahoma State, was mm-hmm. was the skepticism around his hire was it just one hundred percent? You know, he that's way too much, way too soon. Did it kind of have that air of like, okay, listen, if Gundy believes it, we generally trust him. He's like, he's a guy who knows what he wants to do. Like, what was kind of the vibe uh, around him when he got hired, and what did you guys, as a, kind of a collective Oklahoma State universe, know about him coming in? So um, Gundy kind of did himself no favors in this area. Um, that doesn't opinion. sound like Mike Gundy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Gundy has a way of kind of acting like the smartest man in the room. And he thinks that his his system is kind of bendable to anyone, I think. And the offense, for the most part, under Mike Gundy hasn't changed over the last decade. Now, they, they've done some different things with, with Dana Holgerson, um, with the offensive coordinator now, Casey Dunn. Even with Mike Yersich, there's there were some different elements that have been, you know, kind of bent in different ways. But for the most part, it stayed pretty consistent under under Mike Gundy. When he hired Mike Yersich, he announced that he found Mike Yersich by searching the internet. And in 2013, <laughs> uh, that that was not necessarily received all that well. Now in 2021. Perhaps you can say, okay, I Googled this guy. I, you know, I found some of his schemes on, on YouTube, and he was really impressive. And, and maybe you know, that would be accepted. But in 2013, it's like this guy just you – know, Gundy just went on YouTube or Google or whatever and found some of his schemes he liked, called him up, and you know, he's, going, he's going from making 50000 a year at Shippensburg to making 400000 a year at Oklahoma State. So I think that was in part uh, some of the skepticism that, that Oklahoma State had about Mike Gears. It's just his, just the fact that, you know, he, he hasn't really proven, um, you know, that, that he could, you know, put up a, a, a really good offense at, at the big 12 level. And especially um, just, just some of the history that Oklahoma state has had before at the offensive coordinator position uh, with, like I mentioned, Dana Holgerson, uh, Todd Munkin is uh, another very respected offensive play caller who, uh, who's been at Oklahoma state and they have a, a really long history of guys and so uh, you would think you know they, they would get kind of the next up-and-coming offensive coordinator who wants to be a head coach your at the time was was really not that yeah that that's interesting I mean it's I, I feel like that skepticism would exist with basically any co- I, I didn't know he legitimately just said I looked him up on the internet and that's how I found him that's why it's not great yeah <laughs> yeah well listen all the uh, there's what, what's the saying? The only rule is that it has to work. And like, as I look at, look through these Oklahoma state offenses, particularly, uh, I remember you mentioning that 2017 offense, uh, was the one that really stuck out to me because I, I just remember how incredibly good dynamic must watch. Like if I, I'm pulling it up right now, didn't they lose to Oklahoma that year in just like an absolutely bonkers football game? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I want to say it was like, uh, like fifty-eight to forty-eight or fifty-eight. It was some. It was yeah over a hundred points of offense. Just uh, Baker and and uh, Mason right. Rudolph exchanging yeah. plays. Fantastic. Game. Well, one Baker got his revenge last night. Or no, uh, no Baker doubled him up last night. I forgot about that. Neither here nor yeah. there. Uh, so talking about 
his tenure uh, at Oklahoma State. I know you kind of touched on that, but it really did seem like when he eventually left, I rem- like those years when he had Mason Rudolph and he basically got the opportunity to coach an offense with, you know, like we mentioned, an NFL quarterback and excellent, excellent running back in Justice Hill, a couple of really excellent wide receivers. I mean, even going down the receiver list, James Washington, Marcel Aitman were the standouts there, but Jalen McCleskey was no joke. Dylan Stoner was a very good pass catcher. Like, once he's had an offense that had talent, it just looks to me like this guy is capable of putting together and building and calling an offense that could just absolutely light up the scoreboard. Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, you know, from a play calling standpoint, I would say he was aggressively pro pass um, as a play caller, but also frustrating, predictable at times. Um, There was a ton of, okay, here's a first down run up the middle. Uh, It it goes for two yards and then you're like, okay, it it happens every single time. It's very predictable, but that predictability over time, I think allowed him to mix things up uh, where in obvious passing situations, I remember Yersich it would be like, you know, third and 15 and they're running on third and 15 and, and converting. And so he does a lot of kind of unconventional things. Um, but, you know, you're, you're such as a play caller, I think, by and large, whether that was because he was coaching Mason Rudolph or because of the offensive line when he took over at Oklahoma State wasn't that good and they didn't run the ball particularly well, especially early. Um, they, they were very pass heavy. And I, I think that really translates – pretty well to the college game right now where the teams are really letting it loose, uh, letting it fly. And we saw that even this past season with Yersich calling plays in at Texas, Sam Ellinger put up some huge numbers uh, for the Longhorns. And and I would expect that Penn State, uh, you know, when he's at Penn State, he's going to adopt probably a similar system to that. So getting, you kind of mentioned the unpredictability, and I think that leads really well into what are just generally his strengths and weaknesses uh, as j- just in terms of football as an offense coordinator, as a QB coach, that sort of thing. What are his strengths and weaknesses as a coach? So I think one of his big strengths is knowing what personnel he has and adopting an offense around it. Um, in, in 2015, um, this was his third year at Oklahoma state. The offensive line was still not very good. The, the rushing game was still not very good and, and still they had a top 25 offense because all they did was pass the ball and they passed it so well down the field and so efficiently um, that, you know, it kind of didn't matter. You know, they didn't, they didn't try and force the ball uh, 30 times on the ground with justice Hill or Chris Carson. They knew that Mason Rudolph and James Washington were their best options and they went to it early and often. And um, you know, what, one example of this is I, I think that, at times the offense in the red zone struggled under uh, Mason, Mason Rudolph, uh, especially early on. So Yersich adopted essentially a two quarterback systems um, in, in, in the red zone, kind of like Taysom Hill. Uh, Mason Rudolph was kind of the, the pocket passer that they had. They also had a star quarterback named J, J.W. Walsh, who essentially lost his job to Mason Rudolph, but to keep him involved and to kind of, mix it up in the red zone to try and score more. They used a, a, a red zone package centered around J.W. Walsh that, you know, made, made teams, uh, it, w- it was hard to predict what Oklahoma State would do in the red zone. So that's, I think, a pretty good example 
of how, you know, Gersich, you know, kind of seeing how things turn and how things change and knowing his personnel really adapted to, um, to what he had and, and kind of knew the best way to, uh, to call plays. I, I think some of the frustrating things and probably some of his weaknesses over time, I felt like uh, his, his reliance on the rushing game um, in, in big spots was, was not great. And I think OSU fans would say, okay, that's, that's Mike Gundy being conservative. That's not Mike Yersich. Um, I don't know the, the exact dynamic there, but Mike Gundy is famously conservative. Um, and Yersich was famously not conservative. So I don't know how much, you know, how much uh, Gundy had in the conversation, but uh, there was a lot of big spots where I felt like, you know, he could have gone for the kill shot and instead they go for, you know, a run play on third and nine and they're punting the ball away. Those are some examples where, you know, I think it's pretty common. Uh, if you're a fan of, of a college football team, you want your offensive coordinator to always be aggressive. And he wasn't always that. I'm very glad that you mentioned the Walsh thing because, uh, you know, by, by nature of us having a mutual friend or me having a mutual friend with you uh, who went to Oklahoma state, I ended up watching a decent amount of Oklahoma state over the years. And I vividly remember uh, the Walsh thing and just thinking that was very weird uh, in large part, because over the last basically five years, Penn state has done the exact same thing. They've tried to keep a backup quarterback happy, Uh, a backup quarterback who's not particularly great throwing the football, but is very, very stout running the football. So can you just give me a really quick, you know, I'm not going to ask for big X's and O's. Was it basically they brought in uh, Walsh and, uh, you know, if he was coming in, you could pretty safely assume they were going to run it? Or did they do uh, some fun stuff out of that and take advantage of the fact that, you know, listen, this guy's a quarterback. He can also throw the football. Yeah, I you know, it, it reminds me a lot of Taysom Hill and how he's used with the Saints. Um, you You expect that he's probably going to run it. They did a lot of read option um, in in that package where, okay, you know J.W. Walsh is a threat, but I'm going to hand it off here because they're expecting Walsh to run, and your, your running back is picking up extra yardage that he, he may not have otherwise. Um, you know, he, he could throw out of out of that package as well, and he, he didn't have a great arm, but if you're asking him to throw eight yards for a touchdown, I mean, you don't have to have the strongest arm to do that. So, you know, there were, there were a number of different options out of that package, and you know, I think the, the fact that there was really three threats, J.B. Walsh running the football, him throwing the ball, or handing it off to the running back, uh, made it uh, especially successful at Oklahoma State. And was it, was it like a two-QB thing where both quarterbacks were on the field, or was it something where he would go in and Rudolph would come out? Yeah, Rudolph would come out. Thank you, yeah. God. Yeah. Because one thing Penn State has like had this nasty habit of doing is having two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, and every time they do that, like I have to refrain from putting my head through the television. So that's <laughs> very good to know. Uh, I'm one thing I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned a second ago, uh, which was. Mike Gundy being conservative, him being a very uh, aggressive coach kind of by trade. And if there is one thing that I know about Mike Gundy, it's that before he became a head coach, he was an offensive coordinator. He uh, was a guy who, uh, you know, really prided himself in on what he was able, on calling plays and doing that sort of thing. So I'm very interested in how much of 
whatever Oklahoma State did in that era was him and how much of it was Gundy. And if you just have any idea uh, to whatever extent this would be uh, information that is knowable, like on just the relationship that they t- had uh, over the course of football games. I think Yersich was basically given free reign for the most part. Um, you know, when I keep going back to this, but Dan Holgerson, when he took over as offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, he was basically the head coach of the offense. Yersich, I would say, was the offensive coordinator of the offense. He, he wasn't, you know, given complete control. And so, you know, Yersich could call up a play and say, okay, we're going to throw it 40 yards to, to James Washington on a seam route. And Gundy could probably hear it on the, on the headset and say, you know what, run it, run it vertical. You know, we don't, we don't want to take any chances here. Uh, because it's third down, it's it's about to go to the half. We don't want to turn the ball over, something like that. Um, I think the hierarchy in that particular setup was Gundy gets final control, but he's not calling all plays. Um, and Gundy is typically more conservative. He he was an offense coordinator a long time ago, and he was coached basically by Les Miles and uh, Pat Jones, who really were were run first type of coaches. And so to, I think to answer that question, Yersich was, you know, probably more pro pass than pro run um, and, and more aggressive, not necessarily conservative. Whereas, you know, I think Gundy was quite the opposite. So like we mentioned, he was there uh, 2013 to 2018. It's the longest stretch that he had at one school in his coaching career. Uh, then 2019, he ends up moving on to go be the passing game quarter coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh for ryan day at ohio state uh obviously spent one year coaching justin fields uh while he was there ends up winning the big 10 making the playoff all that fun happy crap what was the uh reasoning behind him leaving uh to make that jump to columbus there was no reason uh very good yeah and it was it was a really interesting move because I, I would say it probably was a lateral move at best because you're not you're not going from I mean to go from offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State to uh, Ohio State where you're not calling plays I thought it was interesting um, I, I would imagine that it was kind of a mutual parting of ways where you're just thought you know what I've kind of worn my welcome out here Gundy's like you know what we need some fresh blood uh, you're uh, you know Mason Rudolph is leaving. Uh, we, we can try and hit the reset button here. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine it's probably a parting ways, but yeah, there was, I don't think there was any like official announcement on why he left. Interesting. Uh, it, it's weird because I feel like when you just, I, I think I subconsciously knew that he didn't call plays at Ohio state. Uh, but I, I was talking to an Ohio state friend as we were in the lead up to this and I didn't realize Ryan Day was the one calling plays, and kind of the co-offensive coordinator was uh, Kevin Wilson. And then you also had yeah. Day was the guy who was working directly with Field. So, like, yeah, I mean, it is. I I I'm going to pick my words closely here because I have uh, I I don't want to hate on Ohio State too much because they beat my team every year. But I think calling it. it I think calling it a lateral move might be um, a bit generous. Uh, yeah. It, it, it does seem like he took a bit of a step down. And then 
obviously adds a little bit of weirdness to it because he ended up uh, after one year leaving to go to Texas. So yeah, uh, neither. What what was if I may? What was the reaction to him uh, after one year leaving Ohio State to come back to the Big Twelve? Uh, surprise, I think. Okay. Um, because you know, I, I think most people thought, okay, he's leaving Oklahoma State to take a lesser role at Ohio State. He probably needs to go prove himself as a play caller somewhere somewhere else. Okay. Um, but. At the same time, Tom Herman needed to prove that he could change his offense, and the offense that Yersich ran is, you know, something that Texas has really not ran, and so it was kind of an adopted form of the air raid, and uh, yeah, I, I, I imagine that was pretty appealing to Tom Herman. Interesting, interesting. So, my last question before we get into a quick lightning round to close: Are, are there games that you think? Uh, you know, some Penn State fans want to fire up YouTube, go back and watch some games uh, during his tenure. Any games that really stick out from his t- time as uh, as offensive coordinator to uh, really hammer home, you know, this guy, like, his offenses are going to be able to do some really fun things with him at the helm. Yes. So I would, I would recommend one game. It's Bedlam 2017, which you brought up earlier. Um, that was Juricic letting loose. He's got the cannons firing. He knows that because the defense was so bad that year, against OU, you need to score 60-plus points. And uh, they ended up scoring 52 and and still losing that game. It was 62-52. OU won that game. But um, that was kind of on full display just kind of what the offense can look like. Mason Rudolph threw for 448 yards and five touchdowns. Justice Hill on the ground ran for 230 yards. Uh, James Washington had 128 yards receiving and a, and a touchdown. Tyron Johnson had 118 yards and two scores. So uh, that was just kind of the full arsenal of like when the offense is really working and when Yersich has full control, um, I, this is kind of peak Mike Yersich offense. Yeah, God, I, I... – I uh, God, I think I watched that game. Actually, funny enough, I think I watched that game on Josh's couch because I think he might have been at that game. Like, uh, I'll have to we'll have to go back and look at the records on that one. But uh, it, was, it was absurd. Baker Baker had 600 yards passing and five scores. <laughs> uh, Hollywood Brown had 265 yards receiving. It was it was uh, it was bonkers. I was at that game actually My um, God. with Kyle Kyle Porter who who works for CBS Sports, and uh, it was it was a delight. I was very glad to be at the game. It was one of those games that, like, my guess is that in the moment you weren't exactly stoked about how it ended up going. But as you look back, I'm like, yeah, yeah that was a fun football game. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and they they even had a chance to, I don't know, I don't know if they had a chance to win it, but they had a chance to potentially win it at the end. And um, it, it was actually closer than the 62-52 spread in the kids. God, 785 yards, but good lord. Not... I, I, I basketball and grasses. Uh, I know people who don't like it, but how can you not like it? That's way too. It funny. was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so let's end here uh, with a little bit of a lightning round, just touching on uh, a couple of elements of the Ursish offense that I think Penn State fans are going to be really interested in. Uh, starting with, I think there were a lot of Penn State fans coming into last season who were really concerned uh, because Kirk Shiraka's offense has never really used a tight end. Penn State's tight end room is really, really, really good. How does Mike Yersich use the tight ends in his offense? Uh, he does not. Ah. They basically don't exist. 
All right. Well, roll tide. Uh, what about in the pa- running using his running backs? I know you mentioned he uses his running backs. I, he started using them more and more as his tenure goes on. But how has he used them not on the ground but in the passing game? Um, selectively, not very often. Um, the staple of the Mike Pearson offense is throwing the ball down the field. Often, um, they use Justice Hill, who plays for the Ravens now, in in some form uh, in the passing game. You know, they would use him on screens and quick passes, um, not so much in the slot. And, you know, I don't think there's any real creativity with how they use them, but you will see a, a, at least some offensive play sets where they run uh, and use running backs, you know, in, in, in screens um, and then just basically quick passes to try and get the ball and get the running back in space. And speaking of running, what about using his quarterbacks in the running game? Yeah, this one's tough uh, because Mason Rudolph is not versatile, um, <laughs> so it's it's hard to tell. Uh, when when they use J.W. Walsh, the the more mobile quarterback that we talked about earlier, uh, he he ran the ball quite a bit, and that was kind of his strong suit. So um, you know, if if Yursic has a mobile quarterback to work with, they will use him in that way. Um, if, if not, and, and if it's only a pocket passer, they'll use him in that way. So uh, Yersich, to add to add to this, I know this is kind of a lightning round, but uh, he recruited Mason Rudolph, who was primarily a pocket passer. He also recruited Spencer Sanders, who was a Gatorade Texas Player of the Year, and he was a, essentially a, a dual-threat quarterback who was best with his legs. And so I don't think he really has a preference one way or another, and the fact that he recruited both of those players tells me that He's comfortable using whichever quarterback he gets and kind of is willing to adjust his system accordingly. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, he, I don't think that there is a single person on earth who will say that Taylor Cornelius is particularly fast, but he ran him (laughs) a little bit, correct? Yeah, yeah, they did. And he he was pretty good size, too. Um, Like 6'6, like 200 pounds, and he he was a pretty good runner. Uh, they they did not use him that much, but you know in bigger games um, they they were I think a little bit more willing to say okay we're going to use the quarterback in the run game because it's a threat that uh, teams have to account for and, and it's another wrinkle that teams have to prepare for. Now I think everyone is always going to remember the mind-numbingly bad decisions. How often does uh, Mike Yursich make mind-numbingly bad decisions as a play caller? Not very often. Um, the, the only mind numbing decisions are going to be like, okay, for the 38th time they're running, uh, halfback dive on first and 10. Um, that's, that's going to be annoying. Um, but it does set up the, I think the, the, the vertical passing game, which, uh, Penn state fans are going to be very pleased with. And then my last question is recruit. And I was going to say this and I'm glad you just mentioned it. Like he was the guy who got Spencer Sanders to Stillwater, correct? Correct. Yeah. So first year on the job. He recruited and landed uh, Mason Rudolph out of Rock Hill, South Carolina. He has he had no obvious connections to Rudolph, and in fact, there's a, there's a story out there you can go Google it. I'm sure, but Yersich basically landed him by sending him a message on Facebook, uh, sparked a relationship there, and, and got him to come to Oklahoma State on a visit, and ultimately landed his commitment. And Rudolph was a, was a really highly touted quarterback had had a number of offers and ended up coming to Oklahoma State. He also landed a commitment from a four-star quarterback named John Kolar, who was 
you know, not very good. Uh, he didn't, he didn't play. Um, but they did bridge that gap. He landed Spencer Sanders, who we talked about the four-star quarterback from Texas. And, uh, he's, he's been the starter the last two seasons. So I think for the most part, he's, uh, he's a pretty good recruiter and especially a quarterback. Well, I think that's everything. I can't think of any uh, final Mike Yurisich things to mention, Kyle. Are there any final things that you think uh, we didn't touch on that you wanted to make a point to bring up? Yes, I I need to mention that um, when people were skeptical about Yurisich being hired at Oklahoma State, I should have added that as he was hired, Oklahoma State fans found on the internet a video of Mike Yurisich breaking down a trick play using logos and it's on YouTube. And I would highly recommend people go look at this video because um, I th- he was basically called the Lego man at Oklahoma state. And it was because of this video where he breaks down this trick play um, from, from Shippensburg and I can't do it justice, but you guys just have to go watch it. Yeah. I Googled Mike Yurcich Legos and there are a lot more results than I probably would have anticipated on here. So I will absolutely make it a point to link to that uh, in the podcast. Uh, Kyle, thank you uh, very much for coming on. If you want to let the people know where they can find you, by all means, please let them know. Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on the Twitterverse at Kyle double underscore Boone. And uh, that's basically all my social media. So yeah, follow me if you wish. Smart man. Uh, Kyle, thank you very much for joining. And everyone, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Alliance Radio. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media platforms. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast everywhere that you could find podcasts. And if you head on to Apple Podcasts and you're subscribing there, please leave us a five-star review. Make sure you're buying T-shirts, reading, supporting the site, all that uh, fun, happy crap. One last time, thank you, Kyle, for coming on. And thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Alliance Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.